Amen. Thank you, Chris. Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Community Church. I bring you greetings from Crestwood Presbyterian Church in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, my time in Canada went well. Thank you for many of you who prayed for me and asked how things went. Uh, if I slip into some Canadian vernacular, it just is it's natural, eh? Uh, and I'm sorry. So uh, sometimes you imbibe the place you, you were for a bit. All right, so this morning we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 23. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at is a question that I think many of you have had on a number of occasions. You've heard us use the language, the necessity to improve upon our baptism. And frequently you've wondered, what does that look like? Well, Paul's going to help us out with some of that this morning, as well as uh, Westminster Larger Catechism question 167. So hopefully what we'll walk away with is a more robust understanding of how to apply and live out our baptism uh, on a regular basis. And, it, and it's a means of grace to us in an ongoing fashion, not just something that happened in the past that we move on from, but as Paul's going to tell us, something we continue to work out of because of the power uh, it signifies and it seals in the person and work of Christ. Uh, so the key truth that we'll walk away with, hopefully, is that Jesus helps us to live out the gospel by building on our baptism as a means of grace. Let me say that again. Jesus helps us to live out the gospel by building on our baptism as a means of grace. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 23. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, being Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished, and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this, I want to give you a quote from one of my old seminary professors, uh, John Fesco, or J.V. Fesco, as he goes by uh, in his fancy pants. Uh, He says this, he says, Circumcision gives way to baptism as sacramental sign, that's my language, because the chosen seed, being Jesus, has been circumcised, cut off from the land of the living, and he has consequently poured out the Holy Spirit. So what John is saying here that that he's getting at from what Paul is saying to us is that the the, the sign of circumcision pointed forward to the necessity for sacrificial death, right? Something had to be cut off in order for life to somehow go on. But if you notice, that doesn't necessarily speak to how life goes on. It doesn't speak to the resurrection. It just speaks to the cutting off, which is the, the shadow of things to come. Baptism is the fuller sign because it includes both the putting to death or the cutting off as well as the raising to newness of life or resurrection, right? It's the fuller picture of what Christ has come to do as opposed to the shadow of which circumcision pointed forward to. And so that's important for us that we recognize the, the, how there are transitions. We saw this a few weeks ago, how John's baptism of repentance was a transitory cleansing or baptism. It was for the repentance of sin, but it was something that you probably, if if that was the way it was going to be, now you understand John just did that for a brief period of time, but if he was left to do that for decades, you would have to get baptized regularly, right? Because John was insufficient for taking away that which made you unclean or unholy, Which is why when Christ comes, it is a baptism that leads us into righteousness, right? It actually makes us clean in and through God's grace as we respond to the person and work of Christ through faith alone. And so this becomes very important for us to see the transitions and how things are being more fully revealed in the New Testament versus the shadows or what was being pointed to in and through the signs and seals and sacraments of the Old Testament. And so as we come to this text, notice what Paul instructs us in. And he says straight away, he says, as you received Christ. So we need to pause here for a moment and ask, okay, how did we receive Christ? Now, what I didn't just say and what Paul's not talking about is your specific uh, uh, justification story. That is an important thing. And it's wonderful for being able to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors and for us to remember the faithfulness of God. But what he's talking about here is the fact that as you receive Christ, you received him first and foremost because of God's grace alone. It was through nothing in you that caused God to go, hey, I'm putting together an all-star team and I got to have Cameron, right? I got to have that dude. He, he, he's, a, he's a world traveler. He, you know, he imbibes the local culture. He's like a chameleon. He's, he's amazing. I got to have that dude. No. And it's not true of you either. So, so all of us, as we receive Christ, we first have to recognize it was purely God's grace alone. So what that does is free us up from having to constantly prove ourselves or reprove ourselves to try to earn God's love either in the beginning 
or as Paul is going to tell us in any sort of ongoing fashion, right? There's no point at which the script flips and we go from God's grace to us doing something in the fullness of our strength and power and holiness. There is no transition in that regard. It is all grace by which we accomplish any of the things that we accomplish. Now, we are better able to participate on this side of the resurrection, right? For those of us who are, are in Christ, we are better able to uh, enjoy the things of God, but we still do it by God's grace alone. And it's, it's not only by God's grace alone, but it's through faith alone, which is our surrender, right? So the ongoing work of sanctification is a series of perpetual surrenders. We never stop surrendering uh, to the person and work of Christ. You understand? That is what repentance is, and we still need to repent, correct? Even though we are holy in God's sight before him, as Romans 5 tells us, we are not holy in real time. We're not living out a, a holiness that is perfected as of yet. That's for glorification at Christ's return. But, but it is important for us to remember that we, we continue to surrender, Right? Uh, along the way. There are, there are things that continue to creep back in on us that we have to give up or surrender. There are ways in which we have to surrender uh, certain circumstances, right? So it's still surrender. And that surrender has to still occur in Christ alone. So it's, it's critical that we see that as we have received Christ, God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so we must walk in him. We must continue to, to mature in what that means. For those of you who are older saints, how many of you would say that as, you've, as you have matured in the Christian faith, you've actually grown to recognize just more and more how sinful you really are, how much it is you are needing to surrender, how wicked and prideful your heart really is, but not in full reality, and that there's more that has to be given up as you go. And so it's important that we never let go of the preliminary aspects of our justification and how we came to be beloved of God. We can't move on from that. In fact, we have to continue to move in that reality. And notice what he says. He says that as you do this, you are to be both rooted and built up. So what does it mean to be rooted? Well, this should call to mind for us the, the parable of the soils, which I think can be applied uh, in two, uh, two significant ways. One is both in terms of justification, primarily, which is what Jesus was talking about, but I also think there's an aspect in which we can apply it to sanctification. So many of you recognize and know that there are just certain places in your life, it's not the whole of your life, but where, where something challenges you, you wither quick. You also recognize that there are certain aspects of your life where the cares of the world uniquely within that, that frame choke out the gospel for you. It, it takes over the frame and, and chokes out the sun from you. And the goal, obviously, is to, to move to where our roots are deep. And there are just times, probably given worship services, where the word that, is, that it goes forth is snatched by Satan before you can even consider it because of either on the way here, you lost your mind and cursed someone's entire lineage. Uh, it may have even been someone in your car, not outside your car. 
And so you may be having a really hard time receiving anything that is from the Word of God this morning. And there are just seasons. There are just dry seasons, are there not, where it's almost like it's ash in your mouth. And that's a dangerous thing uh, in, in for it to be seasonal. So I would argue that we can think of this in both, ter- in both justification and sanctification. And so when he says we need to be rooted, that's a helpful thing for us to take stock of our lives and ask, Lord, are there places where the, your word is easily snatched from me? One of the strange places is, and if I were the devil, this is where I would hit you. Any attempt that you make to do either family worship or personal devotion, I'm going to try, if I were the devil, to distract you as quickly as possible and make it as obnoxious an experience as I possibly can. Parents, you know this. You're like, we're going to sing 12 hymns and we're going to read through the book of Leviticus and we're all going to stand while we do it and our children are going to be perfectly behaved. And it takes about two seconds for you to realize what a terrible idea that was. Right? So family worship needs to be age-appropriate, it needs to be flexible, it needs to be grace-based, it needs to be a series of surrenders, it needs to be changed at times. Your own devotional life, how many times have you gotten all ready? Oh, your coffee is perfectly made, and you sit down in a leather chair in the library that smells like cigar smoke and leather in heaven. And you break out your Bible, and then some kid comes running in and pukes. And you're like... Really? Like, I was just getting ready. So, so we recognize that there are places in our lives where, where the word it does, it gets snatched. Again, if I'm Satan, I'm going to try to make sure you do not come to worship because that is the unique place where God says, I will meet with my people. And the Spirit is particularly at work, not because it's me, but because it's Him and it's us gathered. I would do everything I can to destroy you. You Alabama fans, I would have you going over and over and over in your mind the choice of the quarterback and why didn't Saban make a change in the second half. He clearly doesn't care about winning anymore. If you're a Nebraska fan, well, that's your fault. Uh, and And so I would have you distracted however I could get you distracted. I'd make sure there's no possible way. I would I would use even the cuteness of a small child to keep you from hearing. I would use your bladder. I would use whatever I could get my devilish hands upon to keep you from in any way, shape, or form receiving the word. And then we need to examine our lives and ask, where, does, where, where do we wither easy? Where does some challenge, man, it just, it just turns us sideways. I can tell you, for me, it's traffic. I will lose all holiness, righteousness, and religion. In fact, it just happened this past week. I took a friend of mine, which you all know, Dave Lindbergh, to the airport, and on the ride home, oh, I, I, it was not good. Uh, it was, and it, I was saddened that I am so easily, that, that I got home safe, by the way, praise God. But, but I acted like it was the most murderous, horrible situation one could find themselves in at 4 o'clock on a Friday. There was no praise of God from me. Should I wither that easy? Is it that easy to wither? I, I was doing 50 but I wanted to do 80. I could feel, I could taste. I was so close to home. I've been traveling so much. But I got home safe, right? So I, I, that's a circumstance in which I, every time I get in the car, I need to recognize that my root system is so shallow, I will wither in a gnat's eyelash. 
And there are other places where the cares of the world can begin to kind of choke things out, right? Streaming services uh, are a lot of money now, and not all, you can't really find one that gives you all that you need. So I'm having to piecemeal together Sling TV and Paramount Plus, and I don't know. It's, I, I know that sounds oddly specific. I'm not really doing that. Uh, to watch the, all the football games and the other things that you want to see, the, the shows only on Hulu, only on this, only on that, right? And so, so we can, if we're not careful, begin to think that things are necessary that aren't, and that's a small one, that's a peccadillo compared, but that's one that many of us, I think, uh, get hit with in terms of our finances. Uh, and the cares of the world can begin to choke out. And it's not even just that we have all that. It's that if I have it, I feel like I need to access it and use it to cover the costs. So instead of spending time with the Lord, I'm suddenly super interested in Middle Tennessee State versus Arkansas State and whether or not Butch Jones might cry again. And so I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so it can choke out. And I know that sounds silly, but see, that's exactly what we need to look for because the devil wants you to think it's silly. The devil's not interested in you carving a pentagram in the middle of your forehead or biting the head off some bat. That's actually bad for his business. What he needs is church people who are angry and hopeless and are divided or call things silly that actually are distracting them from the very glory of God. Now, I didn't just say you can't watch football. That's, that would be silly. But what I am saying is it can't overtake your life. It can't be the only thing that matters to you. Uh, you can't choose between it and the glory of God. It shouldn't keep you from him. And so we have a parable. We have a, a, a situation in which when Paul tells us to look to be rooted, that we can actually assess our present rootedness. Uh, Rankin Wilburn, I know the Tuesday women's group is going through union with Christ. One of the arguments that he makes, and it is true, one of the places where your roots grow the deepest are seasons of suffering and dryness. And either in the desert or the doldrums, he uses both language. Uh, and it's very important for us to see that suffering is part of union with Christ. So think about how your baptism applies to a circumstance like suffering. Suffering is, in God's hands... Like, it's, we don't suffer for all the same reasons. Sometimes we suffer because we sin. Sometimes we suffer because of persecution. Sometimes we suffer because of the fallenness of this world. Sometimes we suffer because of just the limitedness of our bodies. But all of those sufferings are an occasion for us to be drawn into closer relationship with the Lord. Where else would you turn? He is so sovereign over it all. And so our roots can grow deep in the midst of suffering, but instead, oftentimes... We let the cares of the world choke us out. We let the fact that we are suffering cause us to wither and fall. Now, I'm not charging you with sin by doing that. That's just it helps you to see kind of where you are and how you need to return uh, to God's grace through faith and surrender and recognize who you are in Christ alone. And then he says, be built up. So it's not just that the roots grow deep. You actually want something to be built to be displayed for the world. So we are to, as the body of Christ, be built up in Christ. And it says, and established in the faith. These are things the world needs to see from us. Is that we, the body of Christ, display the ethics of Christ. Which if you remember, the ethics of Christ are steadfast love, joy, patience, kindness, tenderness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness, justice, 
all kinds of things described in Exodus 34, 6, and 7, and then Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. So, so that's what the world is desperate to see. Uh, one of the places that I went to in, in, in Edmonton when I was in Canada is downtown Edmonton. <clears throat> and if any of you are familiar with a place in America, uh, in Philadelphia, called Kensington Avenue, it is an open-air drug market. It is one of the most astonishing, hellish places you could ever find yourself, even on YouTube. The, the, the just destruction of humanity before everyone's eyes is astonishing. Well, Jeff didn't warn me. I didn't know Edmonton had a Kensington Avenue. So he pulled around this corner, and you got to know where I come from, my house is a nice guy. Like, I, I'm not thinking if we get into a scrape, I'm going to have to both protect he and I uh, in this particular circumstance. So I'm running scenarios through my head. That's just how it works. So when he turned this corner, I was like, yo, where are we? And he's like, oh, yeah, we're just in downtown Emma today. I'm like, uh, no, not, we're not. Uh, we are somewhere very dangerous. Do you know the way out? Quickly. And uh, there was all these fentanyl zombies. And if you don't know what a fentanyl zombie is, they basically somehow can defy the very laws of physics and gravity. They'll stand like this. And they're out. And somehow they don't fall. We saw people shooting up in the, all over the place. It was, it was crazy what we, what we witnessed. And... and, and the folks know that Narcan is readily available, so they don't care about overdosing. They just overdose all over the place. Death is their shepherd. I don't know if you know about winter in Edmonton. I don't. But I hear, based on the pictures my friend sends me, or see, based on the pictures my friend sends me, it is minus 50 regularly. I don't even think that's post human. I don't think that's even reasonable. And so, so these people are willing to sacrifice themselves at a level, and so there is a hopelessness. They don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with the fentanyl crisis. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are scratching our heads. And so there is a sense in which, why are people turning to those things? That's the first thing Susan said. She was like, why would somebody want to do that? That's a great question. It really is, but it's not exactly a reasoned argument by how they often get there. And so there's a sense in which it really struck me like the image of God down in this place is being so marred and, and besmirched. Where is hope? And how do we as God's people even begin to think about uh, that kind of a circumstance, uh, those kinds of circumstances where people are so hopeless and so broken? Because you got one group of people that's basically like, set them all on fire, set the tent cities on fire, let's just start over. Well, that's not exactly image-bearing type stuff. The devil would do that. You got other people saying, let's throw them all in jail, which we've discovered it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a failed project, the war on drugs in that regard. And so giving them Narcane is also not, not it. You know you can buy Narcane at Walgreens here in America? That is a strange phenomenon to me. And, and so, so how do we as God's people begin to offer a hope and a solution as a rooted and built up people as those who are in the grace of God, who, as what Paul says next, and I think this is so critical, this, if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, this is the bellwether. This is the canary in the coal mine. Are you abounding in thanksgiving? And if you're not, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to put you in the dock. In fact, what I would hope is that the Spirit would move you to, to keep keep 
fruits in keeping with repentance. And that you would, you would seek to cultivate that thanksgiving because who are we not to abound in thanksgiving if we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Given the magnitude of sin that we are capable of, each and every one of us, don't think that you are somehow better than or different than Kensington Avenue because many of the people who are now starting to show up there are from the suburbs. They're straight-A students, they're cheerleaders, they're, they're nice folks, they're business people, they're realtors, lawyers. I mean, I mean to look at you, Joe, and said realtor, but it makes sense, right? <laughs> realtors. Uh, and so uh, we, we recognize that we can't throw stones. We have to, in great humility, recognize, praise be to God that he has delivered us from the claws of sin and death so that we could be ambassadors of reconciliation invited into the story. This is what our baptism calls us to. And so he, he says those things to set it up. And he's going to look at two different spheres that often try to vie for our souls. One is the world. So he'll deal with that first. The other is counterfeit Christianity or counterfeit religion. And, it's, and he puts our baptism between the two of those poles to suggest this is how you keep these things at bay. Because both are tireless in trying to destroy you. So first he deals with the world. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So anything from the world that seeks to usurp Christ as King or Lord of your life, you must crucify in your heart, not in, not in real time, right? You must crucify its power over you by reminding yourself who and whose you are, by looking back to the power of your baptism that it signifies and seals. So what might be some of the philosophies of the world? Well, one that I find probably the most disturbing because we have given it the most room to breathe and not realized how devastating it was is materialism. Now, how I know this is I've had people come to me concerned about current marketing strategies that are using alternative lifestyles to market their products. And my response is, but did you not know that the devil was vying for you and your children's souls before the alternative lifestyle showed up in the ad? You do know it was always about trying to get us to be a commodity, not human. And so materialism is one of those that creeps in really easy, doesn't it? In fact, think about all of the, the ways in which your, all of our devices now very conveniently were you to say, I like all birds, which is a shoe, right? If you say that, then all of a sudden, oh, conveniently, <laughs> look, there's the newest pair of all birds. It's like it just knew my heart. That's disturbing. It ought be that this device is listening all the time and saying, ah, oh, I know you. And I will market to you and I will market you. Because, you know, your data is what's most important to everybody else, right? That's the biggest industry probably in the world is our data. And I don't mean stealing your social security number. I mean the patterns by which you function in a digital realm. 
And so, this is the world. And for many of you who don't know the salacious portion of the internet, uh, this is what they have, have begun to make their money off of. Not what you look at, but what you grant them in terms of information. It's one of the reasons why that, that industry, if, if you know the industry I'm talking about, is hiring people from, they're hiring data analysts from MIT and Stanford. And they exist in a nondescript building in Canada. And they're using your information. You are, here's what's so fascinating. We think we are uh, looking at a commodity. No, 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 no. It is you who are the commodity, and that is but the bait. Other places that we would maybe hear of philosophical things from the world is Stoicism. Stoicism, which was true back then, is still true today. It's the whole notion. In fact, it's very popular today. There's a guy named Ryan Day who gives the Daily Stoic, and he writes books about Stoicism, and he gives you this, this, this potential for you to control the whole of your life without emotion, that you could essentially be a well-oiled, efficient machine a human machine, a mortal coil, to quote Shakespeare, right? And, and you could be close to perfect if you, just, if you just got up at five and you just didn't feel anything and you just wrote on note cards and you had a gratitude journal, which is fascinating that even they pick up on gratitude. And if you just ran and got some, to Brett Huberman, get some sunlight in your eyes, don't wear shoes, let your feet touch the earth, this whole issue of grounding uh, that's very popular right now. Um, and, so, and so there's all kind of things trying to help us maximize, if, make efficient, and perfect our lives. Why do you think it's such a large industry? Because nobody ever reaches perfection. You're constantly switching the channel to try to figure out what diet, uh, uh, what, what work program, uh, what, what, what means of productivity. What, what new book has Cal Newport written while he had his phone turned off for hours at a time and didn't answer his emails, right? And we're podcasting ourselves to death, searching for God knows what. So there's a sense in which we need to be more aware of how the world is seeking to grab your imagination, because that is the key to your head and your heart. And what it is offering us that ultimately usurps Christ. Be very careful, people of God. Because as he goes on to say, for in the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ, which means if, if, if the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ and Christ dwells in us and in through the power of the Holy Spirit, what does the world have to offer us in terms of solutions? I'm not saying there's not smart things in the world. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to get up every day at the same time and go to bed every night at the same time and wear those little orange glasses to keep that blue light from causing you not to be able to hit rim sleep by the third trimester. I don't know. <laughs> now they're telling me i got to wake up and go get in an ice bath, which I think is just mean. you got inflammation. Well, have a near-death experience. <laughs> Seems like your cortisol level would do something different. I don't know. But my point is, it, it, it's, it's that we have given up our first love in too many places. 
And Christ has the fullness of the deity in him, and he dwells in us. And it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is not an anti-flesh statement. This is not a other a spiritualized statement. What it's saying is that which was causing you death, that which was causing you to be impure and unholy has been taken care of in Christ once for all as Hebrews would tell us. There's no need for ongoing atonement and sacrifice. That is done in him. And so we don't have to constantly look to try to re-atone or re-perfect. Please hear me rightly. I think what the, the things that Cal Newport and other people say, there's a lot of wisdom in it. And it can work for you, but what it can't do is save you. It cannot keep you from the noonday demon. It cannot keep you from depression. It cannot keep you from longing for a lover far less wild than Christ himself. And so it is important that we continue to return to what Christ has done, which is signifying our baptism, as Paul goes on. Having buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. How? Through your effort? Through faith? Through surrender? You were raised because you surrendered to the very death of Christ. You surrendered all of your sin and shame and guilt. In fact, you didn't surrender it all, but it all got surrendered. Because there's no way for us to actually name it all, is there? We're not even aware of the totality. And yet Christ was thorough in putting it to death. Because here, this next statement hopefully will be true of all who are baptized at some point because there is a necessity to respond to the reality of our baptism in faith. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us how many of our trespasses? All. Past, present, and me on Friday. Now, does that give me the liberty to act a fool on 285 and 20? 20 is the Wild West. I'm just going to tell you. I love it. It's crazy. Anyway, that's sinful. Uh, but, but I don't want to continue to act like that. I don't want to cheapen what Christ has done for me. So this is not a license to sin. It is actually what calls us to want and long for better. Because of what Christ has done for me and the sacrifice that he has made and what it cost him, I don't want to treat that cheaply. And I don't want to get killed being an idiot. And so it would behoove me to think differently and be, remember, be reminded, and you may think this is silly, it's not for me. It is very important that every time I get behind the wheel of a car, I remember my baptism. It really is. My wife will tell you. And it is very important uh, in other circumstances that I take the time to remember who I am in and through my baptism in Christ and let that be the governing principle before I step into certain circumstances and situations. And he goes on to say, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demand. So what did Romans tell us is the legal demand for your sin? What is it? Death. You are to die according to the law for your sin. 
Now, Christ didn't come and abrogate the law. No, he fulfilled it because he died in our place. Amen? Which our baptism reminds us of. And don't we need to remember that? Don't we need to remember that he's canceled? Now, it gets really interesting when we not just think about ourselves, but we're dealing with another Christian who has sinned against us. How do we ever close the gap without our baptisms? And being reminded that I am baptized and so are you. Marriage, family, all of these circumstances need this gospel applied. And he goes on to say, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, and in doing so, listen to what he did. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The world has no power over us but what we allow as baptized ones. Now, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, but it does mean that the, the world can't change who and whose you are, and that's important. Now, he pivots from the world and now turns to false religions or counterfeit Christianity. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. This comes, we saw this in Romans, right? Don't, 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 let, don't let a crying baby snatch the word from you. I see y'all. All turning your head like you never saw a crying baby. Is that baby going to live? Yeah, it's crying. It's alive. Uh, and so they're, they're, he's making clear here that there are circumstances in which people think if you eat certain things, you'll be holy. Did I see Stephanie Knapper in here? Do you believe that, Stephanie? If you eat certain things, you're just going to be holy. Is that what your last video on TikTok said? Did I see that? Right, so, but think about it. There's a, there's a sense in which there's a new holiness that if you eat certain things, right, or you don't eat certain things, right, there was a season, do y'all remember the Daniel diet when it kind of broke out, and people were like, oh, if you're not vegan, you're unholy. I'm like, you just may be emaciated is what you might be if you do that, I don't know. Uh, and so we, we are not to judge each other in that, or drink either, by the way. Now, I didn't say if we get out of pocket and, and overdo any of these things, that is a different matter. But to suggest that somehow you are more loved of God or more Christ-like based on what you consume or don't consume is silly and unbiblical. You may say there's wisdom in not doing eating uh, high fructose corn syrup or unsaturated fats or even chicken wings. <laughs> I don't believe that. Uh, <laughs> Or by saying, hey, if you never take a drink of alcohol, you can never become an alcoholic. That's true, but it can't keep you from, as it's going to tell us later, pride. Which God actually finds more obnoxious than those other things. And he also talks about the festivals and new moon and a Sabbath. I want to be careful here because he's not talking about the Lord's Day Sabbath and the gathering for worship. He's talking about all of the other things that pointed forward to Christ in terms of festivals and ex extra Sabbaths and other things that, that folks did to try to draw closer to the Lord and, and understand Jesus. We have that now. One example would be for those of you who do a Seder meal. If you invite me, I'm not coming. Not because of any religious thing, but, but I don't like horseradish, and I am not eating the bitterness of Christ because he died for me. Right? Now, if you want to do it because it helps you to better appreciate what has gone before, amen and amen, but it doesn't make you holier than me. And so we have to be careful that we don't judge one another based on behavioral things. Because these things are a shadow of the thing to come, but the substance belongs to Christ alone. 
And he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Uh, and he goes on to say, uh, going into details about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Uh, now, this is very important. Right? What is asceticism? Asceticism is for us to show great uh, uh, discipline with our bodies. And they would go a step further and even say, you must harm yourself in some way, shape, or form through fasting, or even there was physical harm, depending on uh, the uh, different ascetic communities. Like, you, should, you want to suffer for Christ, break up some glass and put it in your shoes. Those of you may recognize that from wise blood. Uh, and so there's, there's ways in which, no, is, that's not going to draw us closer to Jesus. You live in a fallen world, suffering is going to come. You don't, have to, you don't have to manufacture it. That's not going to make you more holy. In fact, it's going to maybe put you in a bad position for when suffering does come. Because you're not going to understand why, if you were trying to be obedient to God, he would let you suffer. This worshiping of angels, this, this longing, I, I would actually argue that maybe there's a, a strand of this within the Christian community, our fascination with aliens. Yet, I get, hear me, it's getting weird. And people have asked me, what's your theology of aliens? Well, my theology of aliens is if they're part of the created order and God is sovereign, I don't have to worry about them unless they're an instrument of his judgment. And even then, I don't have to worry about them because I am baptized in Christ alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone. But yeah, it could get weird for a second. Weirder as it is. So we need to be careful that we don't, we don't uh, put ourselves, the things that we can see and appreciate and taste and enjoy, that we don't forsake those by thinking we're more holy if we have something outside of the normal realm. And he goes on to say, those who've had visions and are puffed up without reason. How many have been led astray by someone who says, I have heard a word from the Lord. He has called me and told me we need to do this with our children and this with our wives. Anybody who watched Shiny Happy People? Uh, this is a very dangerous thing for us to do, to not be students of Scripture ourselves, to not work out and live out our baptisms ourselves in community uh, according to the word of the Lord. I didn't just say there's an individualism to Christianity in full. There is some measure of it, though. You have a responsibility to know. So if someone does come to you and say, I have had a vision and I'm going to charge you $5 for it, or I'll, whatever it may be, they try to grasp. Think about how quickly that grasps our imagination. We love that stuff. Somebody sent a meme out. It was like, Paul says we are not a people of fear. Pat Robertson says if you bought something from the thrift store, you better get it exercised because it probably has a demon in it. And so we'd have to burn our house down. Most of our stuff is thrift store stuff. And so... That's, that's just crazy stuff. And so he's saying, don't get tangled up in all that stuff because it is actually just sensuous. You are looking for an experience over the actual tangible reality of Christ himself. Who is the head from whom the whole body is nourished and holds together? And we grow because of God's grace. And he goes on to say, look, if you've died to these things... You no longer owe any allegiance to the elemental spirits of the world. You don't owe any allegiance to these counterfeit Christianities uh, according to human precepts and teaching. Those are just the appearance of wisdom. And they're promoting a self-made religion that causes severity to the body. These things we don't have to do because we've been baptized. Baptism doesn't save us. 
But it does signify that God is at work long before we even knew what was happening. Even if you were baptized as an adult, to suggest that you fully understood what was happening is not true. None of us fully understands what the Lord was doing in our lives long before we, we even knew of him. All of us are baptized in great uh, uh, ignorance, right? In great ignorance of the fullness of God's love for us. That, that's something that we grow in in sanctification, which is why we continue to need his grace. We continue to need to surrender. And we continue to need to cling to the crucified and be founded and grounded in Christ. So this is how our baptism is of service to us. This is how we can improve upon it. Now, Westminster Larger Catechism 167 has a number of things there for you to meditate on as to, as to ways in which you can improve upon your baptism. I'm not going to insult you by, at this late hour. Uh, I'm on Canadian time still. I apologize, eh? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to read all those to you, but I do want to read one. And it's, it's this one. It says, um, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we are baptized for the mortifying of sin and vivification or enlivening of grace, which Paul goes on to explain in chapter 3. So you could take Colossians chapter 3 and this set of descriptions and really pray through, Lord, how can I begin to tangibly, practically improve upon my baptism and begin to use it uh, uh, as a means of grace on a more regular basis. And I trust that the Spirit will, will guide you and grant you opportunity to recognize where you need to repent and where you need to grow in righteousness, where you need to better exalt Jesus and guide you in all truth. So how does your baptism help to actively root you in and build you up in Christ? This is worthy of our meditation and consideration this Lord's Day. It's worth us talking about when we counsel each other, right? When we counsel each other, and I don't mean formal counseling, I just mean counsel each other, remember the other person's baptism. You've got something to work with. Use the language of mortification, of vivification, of death and resurrection, of rootedness and built upness. You've, you've got a language that could, could be of great use in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, let us be as baptized ones. Those who are deepening our root system for when suffering comes and are being built up for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that your grace was at work in this world from before even east of Eden. Even before sin had crept fully into the garden and finished its devastating work or inaugurated its devastating work, your grace was already in motion. God, thank you that we get to surrender in faith to you who love us, you who long for us to be your sons and daughters, we who are friends of Jesus, who no longer calls us servants, we who are rooted in him as our firm foundation. God, would you help us to apply the beautiful work that our baptism signifies and seals? Would you help us to mature it, to build it up, to, to, to see it strengthened? 
so that we would become a people of greater gratitude because you have loved us. And that gratitude would lead us to a deeper hope which affords us the ability to love our neighbors in profound and beautiful ways that may actually affect their coming into the family. That you would use us as instruments of reconciliation. God, bless us this day. Help us in the power of the Holy Spirit to have the courage to consider these things. In Christ's name, amen.